Welcome, and, and welcome the Masters of Divinity. <laughs> you already did it. I don't know which take to use. I don't know. All of them, just remove yourself, JP. We no longer need I'll you. Try again. I guess you want not. to try again? Okay, Ford wants to try again. All right, say okay. hello and welcome to Masters of Divinity. Welcome to Masters of Divinity. Oh, Divinity. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, right there. That's the one. You mentioned Carrie Fisher, and that reminded me. I just rewatched The Burbs, nice. which nice. was incredible. If, yes. if anybody's listening and hasn't seen it, it's, um, yes, it's I I actually don't think I've ever seen the entire movie. I've seen I've, I've caught it on I've caught it on like cable a few times over the years, and I've always it's one of those movies that I'm like, oh, I really want because I loved I loved the poster as a kid. Yeah, like I have a whole that's a like I've, I've told you I mentioned before that I would really love to do an episode about posters. Um, <laughs> I um. That was one of those ones when I would go to when I would go to the um, like the video store. Like I was always intrigued by the by the poster, and I remember <laughs> nice. seeing it in the in the lobby as, as a kid. Um, but I always that was a movie I've always wanted to watch, and it's one of those ones like I always forget about watching. So yeah. maybe I, I so I need to do that. To yeah, it's that. on Amazon Prime. If oh, nice. anybody is interested, nice. and it is a 1989 Tom Hanks movie, directed and by Joe Dante. I. I have rediscovered that I am a huge Tom Hanks fan from that era. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those comedy, like, um, that's the golden age of Tom Hanks. Yeah. With, uh, the money pit and yes, or the burbs, like that's, that's my thing. That's when yeah. Tom Hanks was awesome. It's like, Oh, that's why America was obsessed with him. Like he's a great actor, but it's like, that's why they were obsessed with him is when he came out, then it was, there just wasn't anybody quite like him on screen. He, Did he was know? on Bosom Buddies, uh-huh. and that's how I yeah. Yeah, and, got started comedy. And and the quick thing for our listeners, The Burbs is a dark comedy about a suburb cul-de-sac. It's all about cul-de-sac people. Yeah. Like the whole thing is how cul-de-sacs are weird because they're like their own little world. Um, and it's a bunch of crazy neighbors who start spying on another family that they believe is even crazier than them and the point to the movie is are they right or are they wrong are their neighbors the normal ones and they're all insane or are their neighbors kind of kind of a riff on rear window a little bit i i this this to me yeah, is like a, a little bit. this is a concept that i've been thinking a lot about because you know being in church being, being in a churchy world um i think a lot about you know gothic stuff right like you know gothic architecture and how gothic things relate to religion and so the idea of like a suburban gothic has kind of fascinated me over the years. And to th- like, try- I've been trying to think about like compiling like what movies constitute, like what art constitutes an ethic of suburban gothic. And I feel like like the Burbs, uh, Arachnophobia, um, um, well, the, um, the Edward Scissorhands. And the obvious, like the originals, would be the Adams Family and the Munsters. No, you see, because I feel like I don't know that that's suburban gothic. Like that's gothic taking place in this. Like they are gothic, but they're in the suburbs. I'm talking about like where 
the the aesthetic itself is the you know plaster stucco it's like poltergeist track how yeah track yeah poltergeist would kind of fall into that you know the setting is actually that's why i think edward scissorhands might be the perfect example because here is a gothic person who comes out of a gothic environment into the suburbs but it kind of exposes the gothic nature of the suburbs like there's that one woman in there who's playing her electric organ in her house and stuff like that like that's the kind of thing i'm talking about um, but I guess, I guess in a way, I take it back, Matt. I, I take it back. I think the Munsters might be a really good example. I don't know about the Adams Family, but maybe the Munsters. And definitely, yeah. definitely the, if, if it's the Adams Family, probably more the movie than the original show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I take you know back. what uh, the Burbs reminds me of? And it's probably, and I haven't done any kind of research on the movie. I, mean, I was just directed by Joe Dante. And so it's an Amblin joint. But it, it also, it reminds me of... Um, that Twilight Zone episode, uh, uh, that I think it's called The Aliens Are, are Due at um, Maple Street. You guys see no. that episode? Nothing. Oh, gosh. Okay. All right. Whatever. You should see The Burbs. It's good. It's got <laughs> Tom Hanks. It's got Carrie Fisher. It's got Corey Feldman. Yeah, uh, Corey Feldman. <laughs> He's Brown. awesome in that movie, too. Bruce Dern is very funny. Uh, and of course, uh, Rick DeComan, who's sort of a big '80s character actor, is very funny. It's, that's his uh, neighbor, the one, the fast-talking neighbor that uh, Tom Hanks has. It's got the the cheesy, over-the-top nightmare scene that actually gave me nightmares as a child. <laughs> is that the one where they're like in a giant pot or something? Like they have him on a giant grill. Yeah, because <laughs> it's everything he's supposed to do, like his wife wants him to fix the grill and do it so like the nightmare is everything in one (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah it's it's a classic 80s joint you said the word rick and it made me realize made me remember jp i'm I'm making my way through rick and morty season three right now nice and um i i just watched the one about it was the one where they kind of replaced uh interdimensional cable it was um rick's or morty's mental blowout or something like that Morty's Mind Blowers. Yes, Morty's Mind Blowers. That was a great episode. I laughed way too hard. Oh. <laughs> Did you get to the uh, the the Avengers ripoff one? The <laughs> yes, that was like a couple episodes before that. Yeah, where they with Noob Noob. <laughs> Man, that that I, this season is dark. Yeah, dude, it is. It it's is super dark. It is really dark. Like, I, and of course, the, the Pickle Rick episode is the. Everyone's favorite. You know, I I, I thought it's funny. I mean, I the, the ending, especially when, when they in, when they introduce um, um, the jaguar. Yeah, is <laughs> yes. that's when I I lost it. Like I just, it's, but but I also, but I think I, I don't know. I think I think um, I may have laughed harder at um, Marty's mind blowers though. Yeah, that that, that is a good one. It's good. Um, And and I'm still making my way through how did this get made. I'm on like episode 100 and something, I'm sure. Um, And yesterday, fitting with our The Burbs and Carrie Fisher discussion, yesterday afternoon was the Star Wars holiday special. They did the holiday special? They did the holiday special. Oh, my gosh. And it was great. 
Uh, and I, they also uh, discussed how it is canon in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, Some everything that happens in this could be referenced in a Star Wars movie. <laughs> and their their theory their theory is that it is canon by default because Lucas will not go on record to say that it is not canon because to do so would have to acknowledge that this thing was made in the first place. <laughs> he doesn't want to draw attention to it. <laughs> so, isn't, wait a minute, isn't, isn't there a thing from the holiday special in what's his face is like treasure, like uh, like his little like museum in um, in um, Han Solo isn't or in Solo isn't the guy whatever that guy's name is um, um, and uh, the Vision's char- uh, character um, Paul Bettany yeah Paul Bettany's character isn't there I I didn't see Solo so oh you didn't see Solo okay because in his he has this he has this like this like display room, like this trophy room with all this stuff. And there are references to like all kinds of obscure areas of the Star Trek canon or Star, sorry, Star Wars canon throughout. Um, he also has the, um, he also has the idol from Raiders of the Lost Ark in there. Um, yeah, of course. But he has this, he has this emerald statue that is a reference to something. But the best part of it is uh, one of the, one of the great references is that, um, 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 Khaleesi's character. I, I don't remember the names of any of these people in this movie. Um, she um, um, she does the martial art that's from the Star Wars fighting game. Yeah. Oh, t- Terakazi. Yeah. She references it. She's like Terakazi. I learned yeah. it from blah blah blah. Oh my god. Oh yeah. yeah. They reference that. So I but think yeah, it wouldn't true. surprise me if they put something from the Star the Holiday Special in that movie. I mean, you they... said they already put the idol in it. It's very. As much as there's parts of that movie I liked, because we discussed it in great detail before, as much as there's reasons I liked that movie, it's also very much the um, product of where our culture is today. And everything is about um, nostalgic, ironic references to other things. <laughs> like, yeah. like, we're going to make a great Star Wars movie and put in holiday special things. Like, yeah, yeah well, it, and it was almost kind of like, we're like, we're going to make like the best Star Wars movie that's ever been made. And then we're also going to make this. <laughs> um, but anyway. All right. So, JP, what are we talking about? I got to get in the zone because I'm tired. I was saying, well, you know, if you, if you were just to, you know, if you were just to, 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 to accept your blessings, JP, if you were to, if you were just to, um, just to, to feel that inner power of God working in you and claim precisely what it is that the Lord has promised to you. It's out there. You just don't accept it. You just fail to accept it. And it's there. It's there waiting for you. You just have to claim it, JP. Name it, claim it, and it is yours. And you won't be tired ever again. I, I, could, be, I could be just like Justin Bieber. Because that's what everyone wants. It is. I, I want to be like Justin Bieber. I want to be like Kylie and Kendall Jenner. Uh, I want to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger's children. Do you know what these people all have in common, Chuck and and, and Matt? Jesus. <laughs> there's there's multi. Depending on how you inflected that, Matt, there's a couple of ways it could take that. <laughs> <laughs> these people have something in common, you guys. They are celebrities or children of celebrities. Uh, and they also attend church, which is, is fine. Yeah, celebrities, fine. some yeah. celebrities attend church. Yeah, you know. Uh, however, the reason why I'm bringing this up 
is because of where they go to church. And uh, some new studies lately and some new, um, we'll say, uh, refutations. Uh, this has sort of brought a, uh, a category to us, and then that is uh, the prosperity gospel. We should have like some kind of sound effect after you say that. Like there should be like, a, I don't know. It should just be the sound of a counter going up because we are going <laughs> to have 20,000 20, listeners on this episode. And <laughs> oh. so I have a few articles here and um, I'd like to read, read one of them. Well, I'm going to read all of them, but this one, uh, this is from The Cut. And it's called uh, A Guide to the Evangelical Celebrities and Pastors Dominating Hollywood. When Justin Bieber, the 24-year-old oft-troubled pop star, announces engagement to Haley Baldwin, the 21-year-old model daughter of Stephen Baldwin, the first thing he mentioned was their shared faith. I promise to lead Wait, our hold family. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I, somehow I didn't catch this. This is a Baldwin. So we're talking yes. Stephen Baldwin. We're talking... Um, stoner, uh, stoner character from, um, from Half Baked, um, the, Bi- the, the MacGyver smoker. We're talking about the guy from, um, from Biodome, right? Yeah. Yeah. This guy, right. Who's now suddenly yes. like, who in recent years has made like a bunch of terrible evangelical movies. Uh, oh yes. Okay. Yes, that's so I just want to make sure I have the right Baldwin in mind. Okay. <laughs> uh, I promise to lead our family with honor and integrity letting Jesus through his Holy Spirit guide us in everything we do and every decision we make, he wrote on Instagram. God's timing really is literally perfect. We got engaged on the seventh day of the seventh month. The number seven is the number of spiritual perfection. It's true. Google it. Can we Google that? Can we Google that? What, that number seven is, a, is the number of spiritual perfection? Do, do we have any uh, information that backs it up? There? Well, th- uh, here's the thing is if you Google it, it'll probably bring you to his Instagram <laughs> post. So it becomes self-fulfilling <laughs> statement. But I, um, it, but no, it is hmm. actually. Fitting is, for the topic. It is. There's something you'll mention in a moment where I'll, bring, I'll come back to this because where, where that idea comes from is very fascinating and it speaks volumes. But it is. Okay. Number seven is perfection because there's seven days of creation in the Bible. Um, which seven days of the week, very, the ancients very, and it's beyond just, um, like just, uh, Jewish, um, mystic, mystical things. It's, it's recognized in all Middle Eastern cultures and others. The number seven has a degree of perfection. Just people who've studied math and everything have, have noticed that. Um, <laughs> and by the Matt, way, Matt is showing us he, a he's tattoo. Showing that he has, he has the Hashem on his, uh, he has Hashem on his, uh, which is the Hebrew for the name, which is the sacred name of God tattooed on him, which is funny because which, it is both, it, it is a super serious sin. <laughs> because, <laughs> which, um, which, which also looks like three sevens. Just, just, that's, oh. that's well, also a thing too. If you use Arabic numerals. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He's a, a, a Matt is a, a gentleman's Gentile. That's <laughs> the gentleman and Gentile. The uh, but yes, yeah, so the number seven is is in fact seen mystically as a perfect number. Uh, okay, well, that is why he thinks that their relationship was meant to be because of all the sevens involved in the yeah. Anyway, because they got engaged on the seventh day of the seventh month, and I like the end of his his statement. Uh, which I did not plan. 
Um, <laughs> yes, you did. That's asked on the seventh day of the seventh month. Like you, very, you very much control when you propose to somebody. Like, guys, guys, it was totally of God that we got engaged on the seventh day of the seventh month. Well, no, you asked her on the seventh day of the seventh yeah. month. <laughs> okay, so even if they did not Google this factoid, Bieber's proclamation reminded the 12.8 million casual fans who liked this Instagram of his devotion to evangelical Christianity. For the past few years, he has been a regular attendee at Hillsong, the Pentecostal megachurch founded in Australia in the early 1980s and imported to the States by the rock star pastor Carl Lentz in 2014. Uh, he, who I, from here on out, will be referring to as hipster J.J. Abrams. Here's well, I, the, uh, the, I have the art, I have the article up as well, JP. I and, appreciated that, JP. Just <laughs> and uh, which it's, it's it, that's a good joke. Um, the the rock star pastor is in quotes. Do we know? Yes. Does he call himself that? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I, I, uh, who knows? I, I mean, this person could be referring to like other people. Because I just want to know where uh, he got the where where the quote why it's in why it's in this this the, the, the quotes. I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, Lens has been a person, and you can Google it. <laughs> Lens has been a personal mentor to Bieber, while his wife Laura Lens is close with Baldwin, who of course attends Hillsong services regularly. You've probably heard about Hillsong because of Bieber. Before he proposed to Baldwin, he was photographed taking several different girlfriends to Sunday services, and he often posted about Lentz on Instagram and Twitter. Hillsong, however, is not the only influential church that currently catering to pop stars looking to repent for past sins. There are several youth-focused Pentecostal megachurches springing up across the country, and Bieber has attended just about all of them. In addition to Lentz, he has close relationships with Chad Veach, a pastor who wears cool glasses and founded Zoe Church in L.A., who... Uh, also looks like J.J. Abrams. Um, Judah Smith, another pastor who wears cool glasses and leads a congregation at Church Home in L.A. Uh, it took me a while to figure out how to pronounce Church Home, by the way, because uh, it's it looks like Church Chrome. Church Home? Church Home. Church Home. I like Church Home. That's funny. And uh, L.A. and Seattle, uh, which is so uh, – yeah. Church Home is in L.A. and Seattle. And Rich Wilkerson Jr., um, Kind of looks like J.J. Abrams, who does not wear cool glasses, but who officiated the wedding of Kim Kardashian and Kanye West. He presides over, am I pronouncing this right? Vu Church? Yes. That, is that a thing you guys know about that? Because this, this, that's based out of Miami. Yeah, I don't know anything about it. I, I, other than there's this tradition, this trend in a certain segment of Protestant evangelical Christianity um, to give churches really ridiculous names that yeah. are trying just so hard to be cool, and this is one of those. <laughs> Voo Church. It, it Voo sounds Church. like like designer, you know? Yes, like, like, exactly. Like, art, like like a like a fashion student. Came it's up with it. like, like, my 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 feeling because I mean I, I first realized this when I was I was um I was in the elevator going up to the cafe at um, First Baptist West Palm, which of course is now known as Family Church because again we can't have denominations in our names anymore. And there was like some student group, and they called it Refresh. It was on the like, <laughs> Refresh, and that's when I started realizing, like, what, what is with these names? I just remember, like, th this is my thought in, in like two thousand, like in two thousand six, 
2007. I'm just like, what are these names? Refresh or like reinvigorate or, um, you know, there's a lot of re's, like reinvigorate, the refuge. Hey, I, I, was at the, I was at the the forefront of that in 2002. I was hipster before it was a thing when right. I had the, you were hipster the before young it was adult called? group. When I had the young adult group that I, I named Refuge. Refuge, yeah. Ah, a, yes, Refuge. I have a friend of mine who has a church called the Re- who had a church called the Refuge. Um, you know, it's just what is with these names? Like, it's just so. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, you know, it's a marketing thing. It's trying. It's it's an it attempt sound, to get people who who don't go to church to, to go like to church. Perfume. <laughs> No, and that's that's the thing. Oh, is it Matthew Paul Turner? He's a really great, um, very insightful guy. He used to be the editor for um, CCM Magazine, and has had some pretty interesting, um, has some interesting like transformation in his life in terms of his Christianity and everything. Um, he talks about how in one of his books called Churched, a book he wrote in the early two thousands, um, about how when he would like visit other churches and stuff, he would see these churches where it was like, "This ain't your granddaddy's church." And that's how they would like sort of advertise themselves. And he says, and he says, then I go to the church and it very much was just like my grandfather's church. Like it just, what, what, it's still church. Like we, we, we give these yeah. different names to it and we, we put this veneer on it. It's still church. Just be honest with what it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 I agree. Um, these stylish white evangelical pastors are leading a new religious organization in Hollywood, which looks cool and casual. Everybody's wearing streetwear and waving their hands to Christian pop rock bands, but actually stems from the traditional Pentecostal movement. In each of these churches, there is a heavy focus on baptism, tithing. Most now have convenient iPhone apps for this purpose, and the Bible. But the Pentecostal interpretation of the Bible is not always what millennials want to hear. Media outlets have questioned Lenz, Veach, Smith, and Wilkerson about their views on marriage equality and abortion, which more traditional Pentecostal churches rail against. The cool pastors, however, prefer not to share their opinion, share their opinions on these issues. Really quick, I, I know I'm, I know you're like in momentum here, but I, I I just have to I want to comment on this because like, just a couple of things. One is um, I wonder if I'd be I, I hope nobody thinks that we're like sitting here like crapping on somebody's like like on church attendance or whatever, right? Like, okay, no, awesome. no, no, no. You, we're, know, we're you not, want to baptize? You want to tithe? You want to? That's cool, whatever. Like that's that's what churches need to do, and that there's some spiritual disciplines behind that. But the other the other thing, but I want to comment on this the the thing about marriage equality and abortion and how like the cool pastors don't want to talk about it. Um, yeah. There's a great book. Um, I know Matt. I think believe, I believe Matt has read it. I can't remember if Matt was one of the people who stole the copy from me, but that was the one called "Body Piercing Saved My Life" by Andrew Bajone. I think um, he did steal that from you. I, it's a book that I've lent out to people, and they've always stolen it from me. So I, I can't remember. I got like, I've bought the book like five times. Um, but um, it's a book about um, Christian rock I, and the birth of Christian I rock. I prefer not to comment on that topic. Okay. Um, but so there's a, there, in that book is um, – so it's this guy, Andrew Bajone. He used to write for Spin, and he was fascinated by Christian rock. He is not a Christian himself. So he, um, he wrote this whole book from like an outsider's perspective on Christian rock. And he talks about an interview that he did with the band P.O.D., and how POD, because they were starting to hit mainstream success, were sort of like trying to become like, oh, well, we're not as militant about our, you know, about certain things. Like our whole deal is we just want to make good music and all this stuff. And he makes some comment about, he's like, yeah, a little bit different than, um, than writing a song about the evils of abortion. And they sort of like clammed up because their first album was like aggressively, militantly anti-abortion. And yeah. there's a song on it called Baby Killer. 
and <laughs> and and so it, it's just kind of fascinating how that. like and this this to me is the piece that I I'm interested in this conversation um, aside from the prosperity piece we could talk about um, is also yeah. the, the 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 notion of expediency and convenience of just sort of like we're just going to kind of put our convictions aside so that we can become mainstream and palatable and and i it's a it's a temptation and tendency i see throughout christianity and i think it's very dangerous for christianity because what happens is is that it winds up becoming incoherent and and and, and winds up with what we're going to i'm sure get to which is that it actually isn't christianity it's it's a religion of money yes um uh, yeah i i mean i agree i you know no matter how you feel on, on either subject when it comes to gay marriage or, or abortion, it's probably better just to be like super upfront about what you believe, especially when it comes to church. Right. Um, not to like kind of skirt any issues or trying to like talk around them or something. Yeah. And cause and, and I, and I mentioned this because being in, being in the Episcopal church, we have a reputation of being a little bit more on the left on a lot of things, you know, in some ways. And we have a very strong conservative contingent in the church and, 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 and our idea of the church is to try to hold all that together. And like, I tend, I, you know, I, I tend to avoid politics in the pulpit mostly because I'm, I'm pretty sure the last thing that my parishioners want on Sunday is to hear about Donald Trump again, um, you know, and that there's just other things to talk about. Um, but, you know, like, you know, so like my, it, my, my, my feelings on it are not, oh, I'm not going to talk about my politics because I don't, you know, I want to make sure that I maximize the number of people walking into the pew so that we can keep this thing going. Right. But is is some of it just to be a reprieve because I know a lot of people see this stuff constantly. And I know pretty much all of my parishioners' political views, and I think they pretty much know mine. I mean, I'm 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 you know, I'm not militant about the things that like but I'm I'm pretty open about the fact that I support same sex marriage and um but I'm also very pro life. And right. um and like but I just think that there's other things to talk about. I and, right. and, and so I, I, and I bring this up because I, I, I'm trying to avoid any kind of sense of hypocrisy in this conversation because I think it's a different – I think there's a difference between sort of for the health of a parish finding healthy ways to deal with this. Because we'll talk about – like I'll talk about this stuff in like Sunday school cons, like mm-hmm. adult Sunday school formats rather than from the pulpit on Sunday because you know it, it, I don't think it's helpful to just shut people down if you start spouting your you know and it's also a balancing what's your opinion and what is true right you have to you have to uh, deal with that um but I, I but that it's a different thing to do that than to sort of tailor the message to try to get as wide an audience as possible so that you can maximize your profits from them right and I think that, that and I feel like I, that there, this is what that's more that second option is more like what these folks are doing. But I mean, I, you know, I could be judging them and that's a, that's that's not a right thing to do. But that's just what I see yeah. in this. Um, when The New York Times questioned Veach about abortion rights earlier this year, he said he doesn't like to talk about politics, but offered at the end of the day, I'm a Bible guy. What Wilkerson does that mean? <laughs> I'm a Bible guy, too. <laughs> Wilkerson and Smith have been similarly withholding in interviews when asked about social issues. Uh, I do not like blanket statements, Smith told MTV when asked whether or not he'd officiate same-sex weddings. Slick politics. Uh, Lentz, under pressure, has said he believes homosexuality and abortion to be sins, but that he welcomes all sinners to his church. Oh, man. Uh, despite these equivocations, thousands upon thousands of stylish young people have been chosen to follow 
uh, have chosen to follow the pastors and donate their earnings to build their churches. Lenz and his peers can think can think Bieber. In the past four years, he's done for Pentecostal megachurches what Tom Cruise did for Scientology and Madonna did for Kabbalah. When he posts about Bible study at Hillsong or his photographed attended uh, a Zoe church conference, more millennial celebrities and celebrity-obsessed millennials join the flock. To illustrate how influential and interconnected this world is, we've made a map of the four most famous Bieber fruit pastors and the Alicia's of all of them. Should, um, do you think that's like a good place to end on this article? I do, sure I do, because I, I think it gets into the weeds a little bit, and it and it also it gets, becomes a bit more gossipy, right? You know and, I mean? and, like, and and crapping on here? and crapping on people, which I just don't. I'm not a big fan of. Um, um, but I do, I do want to point. This is the piece that I was saying earlier when we we're talking about the numbers, Madonna yeah. and Kabbalah. Um, because Kabbalah, so Kabbalah, for those who don't know, is just the mystical interpretation of things in Judaism. It's not a separate religion. Um, it is to, it is basically to Judaism what like monasticism is to Christianity. It's just the mystical aspect of this established faith. And many rabbis study Kabbalah and Kabbalistic writings, and they incorporate that into their understanding of, of, of the scriptures. Um, the Zohar, which is a mystical interpretation of the Torah, is a very important book within Jewish spiritual and theological traditions. Um, I have read from the Zohar. I am aware of all of this. Um, but, the, but Madonna, way back when, got kind of wrapped into this particular branch of Kabbalah, which was they were, I mean, they trademarked Kabbalah holy water, um, like this blessed Kabbalah water. And they were and candles. They were putting Kabbalah. They actually they actually trademarked the phrase and were marketing products with yep. Kabbalah on it in this kind of weird, you know, pseudoscience, uh, holistic kind of approach to things. And you know, and it's basically you know, mis, you know, marketed mysticism. It's it and, and, and it all, and, and it all speaks to this kind of um, spiritual consumerism. Um, and um, or consumerized spiritualism. And uh, what I see going on with this thing in the church and with what I see a lot of prosperity gospel stuff is that it's the same thing and that it's just in a different, it's a different approach to it, um, different language for the same thing. Um, and so, yeah, so when the Beaver, Beaver talks about, you know, the mystical number seven, well, that comes out of Kabbalah, which, you know, has, can be used and marketed for all this stuff because, I mean, it goes back to like, it's fascinating to me how many, how many certain kinds of Christians, especially those who televangelist types who, 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 who buy into this prosperity gospel thing, do this. They use this mystical stuff in order to sell crap. Um, I think you probably remember, JP, all those late nights when, when our friend Matt um, Brandis would come downstairs um, and put on – late at night, he'd put on like Robert Tilton or whatever. And you know, we, 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 may, have, we may have been in an uh, – somewhat of an inebriated state while watching the Trinity Broadcasting <laughs> Network, but occasionally would call in and, and like ask for like... I don't remember that at all. You remember this? Ah, oh, he did this. Um, he called and to our house he sent, um, he had sent um, to our apartment, he had sent like the little vials of Robert Tilton's holy water. Um, <laughs> okay, now I do remember. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it, it turned in, but it turned into like Publisher's Clearinghouse. We just kept getting stuff. <laughs> and yeah. I, the one that I will never forget was... Um, was inside an envelope was it was a piece of golden like gold colored like felt and it was cut in the shape of a hand and uh, ostensibly it was his handprint robert tilton's handprint 
like the oh shape gosh. of his hand. And he says, you know, Deuteronomy 38.17. I don't remember what it actually was, what the actual uh, verse reference was. But it was like Deuteronomy 38.17 or whatever says that, you know, you, you know, give to the Lord and you'll be blessed and all this kind of stuff. He said, so please put $38.17 into my golden hand and send it back. So he wanted you to put like a check or the actual amount of cash and then wrap it in this felt hand, put it in an envelope and mail it back to him. And like, I don't, I don't feel like that worked out very well for King Midas. Yeah, but it's just, it's fat, like, it's just fat one, you know, the cult of personality piece behind that. Um, right. But also just that, that, that mystical sense, like, oh, so the verse reference could be treated as a dollar amount, you know, and, and it speaks to us in a weird place in American society, right? I mean, like, if you've ever bought something at a store and it turns out the total is like, you go to a gas station or something and the total turns up to like $3 and 16 cents, you know, if you're a Christian, you're, there's like a moment where you're like, Ooh, like. 316 or like I've known um I've known people who if whatever they bought totaled to be $6.66 they would buy something else in order to like throw that number off and it's like it's like well, who's the mark of the beast in the book of revelation I'm like well I mean the mark of the beast could be 636 for one thing but the other is um is that like you're not going to like trip and fall into the mark of the beast like it's pretty right, clear yeah, that yeah. that's like a thing you like actively subscribe to but um but that's a whole other conversation but it's just fascinating to me, though. Like again, like it, it, there's this mystical wavelength of looking for things and looking for signs and and, and 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 whatnot, but then exploiting them in order to get rich, and then right. you tell other people that they're going to get rich too if they just buy into your thing. And it's you know, I, I and even as I say it now, I kind of want to like almost ease up, edge up against some of our political stuff that we see, right? Because there's this sense, I mean, I know that I know that there are some people who look at our current president, and I'm trying to talk about this in very generous terms here, um, who look at our current president and their and their attitude is that they could be rich like him too if if it weren't for all this regulation. And so they want him in the White House because they see him as though he is going to pave a way for them to have access to the wealth that he had access to as well, that he's going to make life better for everyone so that they can be rich too. And, and I'm not saying that that's what Trump is doing. I'm just saying that there are people who support him who buy into this idea. And they well, tend to also be people who are swayed by the sort of prosperity gospel, megachurch Christianity, just from my perspective. And it's all the same kind of thing, right? If I give you, if I support you in your ministry, you have promised that my support to you is going to make me rich as well. And that's what it all uh, comes down to. Yeah. So it's a spiritual pyramid scheme. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm interested. I want to ask, this is a, a bit of a, a bit of a detour, a little bit of a tangent, but I want to ask Matt, do you see, you know, in, in the, in the bit that I just read, do you see sort of some kind of like parallels with what I'm, what I was reading about, like these, uh, these cool pastors and stuff with, uh, the sort of rising popularity of Rob Bell during his time? Like, do you see kind of parallels there at all? Like, do you see anything? I, mean, oh, yeah, I don't mean like, like, I don't mean in terms of doctrine. I'm just talking about like yeah, cool pastor stuff. Yeah. Like, no, definitely. I feel like he, I feel like without him, you wouldn't have so many of these. Oh, really? Um, he's kind of he, he. Although his doctrine and his view on scripture does not fall in line with the prosperity gospel in in any way, um, his 
format and his way of presenting himself has led rise to to these. I mean, he was the original hipster pastor. That's what people called yeah. him, knew him as. Um, down to wearing the glasses, like <laughs> Rob Bell for a long time, which is why he doesn't wear them anymore. It was like a rebranding when he moved to L.A. and left the church. He purposely did away with the glasses because you saw the glasses and thought Rob Bell. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely see a parallel, again, not saying we see a parallel in his teachings, but I definitely see a parallel in how he was presented and how his church grew and how his popularity grew. Um, and it's, it's definitely, he was at the forefront. See, with Rob Bell, he had this, like, creative way of presenting things that nobody had ever had ever seen at the time. I mean, the Numa series like rocked everybody's world when it came out um, and has since been ripped off by everybody under the sun who, who <laughs> preaches or teaches every pastor with a YouTube. But, um, I, I yeah. He, he was like the, <laughs> he was like the Rob Bell, like the Steve jobs of church. Like he, yeah. <laughs> he knew how to, he yeah. knew how to present information in a package that was, like, I mean, he even referenced getting back in the day, he referenced getting the new Mac in a box with that's just a simple white box with the, you know, the sharp corners to it and how it was just so like sleek and, and stylized in its simplicity and how aesthetic was important to Steve Jobs. Like Rob Bell even referenced that and said that's the kind of level he puts into like the thought of his book covers or the size of the book. And um, so I definitely see a parallel, absolutely see a parallel to the cool pastor and how, but I would say it's more, again, it's not a parallel with his teaching as much as people going, hey, if I took the teachings that were popular before, because everybody before Rob Bell that you knew the name of was the prosperity gospel preachers. And then Rob Bell came on the scene and his style and his appearance caused him to stand out for a whole new reason. And then it's like we got this whole wave of people who said, hold on, I got it. What if I put both of those together yeah. and became the Rob Bell of prosperity gospel? Uh, they're called, uh, they're I mean, called, you read they're that, called hype priests, by the way. You, you read that article, and I'm assuming you're reading word for word. How many times did you read the word glasses? In that yeah, a lot. <laughs> um, every one of them. Yes, the hipster thing. Yes, glasses are in regardless of Rob Bell. But you can't tell me that they weren't, hey, you know that guy who was, like, known for his glasses? What if I had cool glasses, too, and wore Right, them? yeah. And yeah. what's funny is I say this on the one morning where I didn't wear my contacts, so I'm wearing my cool glasses. You are wearing right? cool glasses, and yeah. if we had a picture of it, we would probably be prosperous because <laughs> I've got some cool glasses, guys. <laughs> I, I, um, yeah, there's, a, there's a trajectory to follow. Um, the history of this is, because I'm a history guy and I like this stuff, is um, the Jesus People movement in the, late, in, the late, in the early 70s, late 60s, early 70s, a bunch of hippies who, who discovered evangelical Christianity um, um, they they really pushed this narrative um, and this desire for uh, Christianity to be relevant to the average person. They pushed that it needed to be accessible. Um, the impact of that was that 
church services took on more casual language and Bible translations were more in the vernacular of the people, they, the, the, way we, the way we speak in conversational language, like conversational vernacular rather than formal vernacular. Um, and then the push for contemporary music and all of that. And it impacted every denomination, um, yeah. uh, this, this movement. And that, that group eventually led into, of course, you know, the, the, the countercultural things. They want to be free from institutions. It's a very free church, non-denominational kind of approach to things, even though they also followed a similar format, which is fascinating. Um, and that kind of gave, and that kind of came into a rise where on the, on the really far conservative end, you had the televangelists who were using television as the technology medium to get their message out. Um, and ultimately there was, and, this, and, and a lot of this kind of, you know, was looking for experiential uh, things. And so um, big push for, um, you know, kind of, I see a parallel between like the transcendental meditation movement and those things to uh, end up becoming charismatic Christianity where people are speaking in tongues and they're seeing like supernatural healings and that kind of thing. And they, um, and then that, that kind of takes on its own life and that becomes really encapsulated with Charisma magazine, um, which was a, is a Christian, a charismatic Christian um, publication to kind of talk about, um, issues of things, you know, I think it was an offshoot of, of CCM, which is Contemporary Christian Music Magazine. Um, and I can't remember the founder of Char Charisma, founder and editor, 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 editor in chief of Charisma, I can't think of his name, but his son, Cameron Strang, um, in Orlando, outside of Orlando, in, Lake, in Lakeland, um, he started Relevant Magazine in the early 2000s. And Relevant Magazine right. was a young, hip version of Charisma and was, you know, we're going to give a Christian interpretation on, you know, popular secular music. It's not a Christian music only kind of thing. It's trying to engage with the culture. And it really pushed that word relevance, being relevant, and that, you know, Christians need to look like the people they're ministering to. So you have to look the part, act the part, because that's how people are going to engage with you. They don't want it to be other. They want it to be every day. And so that push around being fashionable and being pop culture conversant and the idea of being basically a hipster um, comes out of Relevant Magazine. I mean, there was a book that came out called, um, you know, like The Hipster's Guide to Christianity or, or whatever um, around that time. And, um, and, and they were in, early, in the early days of Relevant Magazine, they promoted people like Rob Bell. Um, right. And, you know, you said he was because you know, he, he was cool. He fit the look of what everybody was was going after. He was non-denominationally a very large church. Um, so if you ha if you were a megachurch pastor, so it was like him. Um, it was um, uh, what's his face um, at Mars Hill in Seattle. Um, Mark. Driscoll. Driscoll um, was another pastor. You know, of course, he was made popular by Donald Miller um, in his in his writing, which was emphasized by that by the relevant crowd. Um, and, um, and when Relevant Magazine first came out, I thought it was such a, it was such a breath of fresh air. It was the kind of thing I always wanted um, when I was a teenager um, and, 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 and a Christian and, and, and kind of bordering on the evangelical world. Um, but what's fascinating to watch since we're talking about Rob Bell is where the break takes place, is that for Rob Bell, Rob, Rob has always had an interest in Eastern Christianity. And, and so as Rob starts studying history and starts studying Eastern Christianity, it takes him into a much different and more, what I would argue is a more authentic mystical tradition um, that leads him to sort of let go of stuff and, and to embrace, um, and to embrace you know, a more simplistic kind of life. Um, you know, I read, I read his book, um, How to Be Here, this summer. See, I finally got the title right. Um, <laughs> And I, it was, it was, it, it impacted me heavy. It was a huge, it was, it was such a great book, and it's, but it's very, it's got a lot of Zen parallels to it. 
Um, and so it's very Eastern in its thinking, and that's been a big part of his. But then the offshoot is is that the people like the Francis Chans and the Carl Lentzes and the others um, who were sort of starting to be propped up by Relevant Magazine, they went more toward this very strong, hard prosperity gospel um, direction. And Relevant, it, yeah. and Relevant has really endorsed that. Um, Have has, they? Yeah. It's actually gotten pretty scary because um, – was it Cameron's dad? Um, I guess, again, I can't remember the guy's name. Steve Strang, something like that. Anyway, he um, he's one of the he's a, he's a leader of a movement um, called the you know who they are JP. It's that group of Pentecostals that because um, all comes out of the assemblies assemblies of God movement. Um, these um, is this Pentecostals who believe that they are uniquely empowered by the Holy Spirit and that they feel that it's their job to sort of like take over. I don't know. Uh, snake handlers? Uh, it's not that's not the holiness movement. It's the um uh it, it's driving me nuts. It'll, it'll come to me eventually. Um but it is it, it it carries some scary dimensions when you start peeling back the layers for me. It does. It, you know, and and I think that's that's sort of the big difference between Rob Bell and and a Carl Lentz, which is Rob Bell, you know, he definitely had that sort of aesthetic that like he was developing a very modern aesthetic, right. very hipster, I guess you could right. call it aesthetic. Uh, even, but he wasn't just rebranding or repackaging some other kind of doctrine. He was sort of – he kind of started exploring his own thing, which is what made, made him controversial, made him the yeah. Mr. Pastor. But, uh, and, but even his even his discussion listened or read what he said about his aesthetic and why he chose to do things the way he did it. His reasoning and line of thinking is so different from the people that we see today who do it because they know this is what will make me the pastor of the church that Justin Bieber goes to. Right. Like Rob Bell, Rob Bell saw it as an art form and describes it as like, like I love his his discussions on sermons and how they were like originally this form of guerrilla theater yeah. that would just kind of pop up out of nowhere. So he talked about how there's an aspect of, of preaching that we've lost. That's almost theatrical, not meaning that you're putting on a show for the people, but that you're doing something that, that draws the person in on every level well, from we, emotion to thought and well and we and for, feeling and and we that. forget that preaching was not part of Sunday worship until the Protestant Reformation. Um, preaching was always done in the public square. It was done by the deacons uh, um, throughout the Middle Ages. Why the deacon, in, like in my tradition, why the deacon carries the gospel book because they were entrusted with it because they would take that thing out into the public square and they would do this guerrilla theater stuff that you're talking about. Um, the only time that you maybe heard a, a sermon in the church was like Christmas and Easter um, um, and maybe a few other holy days during the year when people would go to the church and like in mass. But largely like your, your average, you know, your average mass was just the liturgy. Um, performance. There would be the readings, and then you would take communion. There was the, there was no break for the sermon. Um, that was that was definitely the product of the Protestant Reformation on on the church. Um, yeah. So um, so this is sort of uh, you know this is not um, I, there's some correlation happening I think with uh, you know Justin Bieber's church habits and also with the the, the rising popularity. The prosperity gospels. I, I have some some numbers here. Really, really reason. quick. Maybe for the sake of our listeners, we should define for them what the prosperity gospel is for those who might not know. Because I realize we're just talking about it as though we know what it is. Uh, okay. Um, well, 
who would like to define it? <laughs> I mean, the, the 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 very simple, straightforward understanding of prosperity gospel is if you follow the quote unquote gospel, you will prosper. Right. <laughs> you'll mean, never be sick. Cheesy, but you'll, you'll never, never be you're, poor. You will have lots of money. Um, if you're doing things right, God will bless you financially. Is what it comes down to. For, for the and if you're part, not because, doing well. Mm-hmm. If you're not doing well financially or obviously, or obviously something is wrong. Um, right, you're, you need you're, to change. Exactly. Or, yeah. or you need to, or and the extreme versions that we're kind of making fun of because I don't want to make fun of prosperity gospel on a surface like across the board. Um, even though I don't agree with it, I don't want to make fun of it across the board. The extreme version that I'm totally willing to rip on because nothing about it to me is is okay to teach. Um, if something is wrong in your life and you're sick and dying or broke and have no money, then the extreme version is you're obviously not giving enough. So give us more money. And if that even means going into drastic debt, we'll bless you and you will have a huge turnaround if you right. just send us more money. Yeah, that's because you're. And there you're... has been. And there's been articles written of people who I can't think of what church it was, but the daughter who was like suing the church because her mother died of cancer, mm-hmm. because instead of seeking um, treatment, she was giving more and more and more and more money to this church because she kept being told, if you give enough, you will be healed. So she gave away everything until she literally died. Um, so that's the extreme version, and that's the one I have no problem laughing at because to me that is so dangerous and and evil to to feed people this line of thought that that there's nothing about it that's I mean that to me is what Christ is the only thing you see him making fun of in scripture is is this concept of just give more to the church and and yeah. And I mean, stuff, you know, it's it's just it's insane. Well, there are two key passages of scripture I think where Jesus condemns this in very explicit terms, and that is, you know, first you have the story of the rich young, the rich young man who um, who comes to Jesus and says, you know, what do I need to do to attain eternal life? And you know, after some back and forth, Jesus says, we well, need to give everything you have to the poor, and the guy leaves weeping um, because he has a lot of stuff. And, you know, we, I have an interesting interpretation of how that story goes, um, which I won't get into right now unless you guys want me to. But what's really telling is after that moment, um, Jesus just sort of, you get the sense that Jesus sort of just shakes his head and shrugs his shoulders and says, it's so hard for rich people to get into heaven. Um, he said, in fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into heaven. And, and, Peter, and Peter goes, well, then who can be saved? And that's because Peter and his, and his flock and his crew are believing that – I just said crew. Gosh, at least I didn't say squad. Um, <laughs> his posse? His squad, yo. Um, his entourage? Undercut. His... So he um, – um, so anyway, he, Peter and his people are like – they've bought into this idea of a prosperity gospel. Their idea is like, well, if we really truly believe in God, we cast off all idols, we follow the truth, you know, that's going to mean success in, in everything for us, that we're guaranteed heaven and guaranteed all of these things. You know, we're supposed to have – all of this stuff on earth is evidence because isn't that what we're seeking here? Like the Romans are the ones keeping us from being able to, to fulfill our complete blessing from God because we're trying our hardest to, to do this. And that's why Jesus is here, right? You're here to liberate us from this so that we can become this wealthy world leading nation. Like we believe we're called to be. And now you're saying that that's not the case. 
And so, you know, Jesus is saying it's something else. Um, and then the other one is, and, the, and, and Matt, your story made me, the, the story you just told about that, about that woman dying of cancer made me think of it. And that's the one where Jesus gets really, you know, he, he has that moment where he watches this woman, this old woman give the last of her money into the temple giving box. And he, you know, he, he makes first his comment. He says, you know, this woman gave the greatest, you know, her gift means more to her than the rich person who gives out of their excess. This woman's given everything, but we forget. And that's one that prosperity gospel people love to use that passage. But what they forget is that the next section is Jesus is condemning that he's condemning the religious system that benefits from that. Cause he says, you know, woe to you Pharisees who devour widows houses. Um, you know, he's basically saying like, look, you've taken everything from this woman and that, and, and you don't care. You yeah, don't and care. It's... And it's literally the time we see Jesus lose it in the Bible when he walks into a temple and starts flipping tables over. Right. Is literally in regard to them selling stuff at a high price, telling people this is the blessed stuff. And if yeah. you buy this, you'll receive more blessing. And he walks in and flips tables over and well, is screaming at them about turning his father's house into a den of thieves. Right. And I, right. And I really want to know what prosperity gospel people do with the book of Job. Because the book of Job is all about how Job is, Job is the prosperity gospel person. He's, you know, God says there is nobody on earth more righteous than Job. Job gets it more than everyone. Yeah, and I mean in that story— And he loses it all because why, of a yeah. bet between him and the devil. Yeah, in that story, that's why the devil in the, in the story, Satan comes to God and says, this is the absolute best version of who you're looking for. This is the man. So let me screw with him so I can prove that it's wrong. And God goes, okay. Um, and it's like, yeah, how does that fit with prosperity gospel? This right. is literally a story where God's like, because you are doing this correctly, you're going to suffer the worst. Like to, I mean, I mean, the point of the story is to prove a point. Like you're going to suffer the worst, so that I can prove that it's not about what I gave you, um, and that's right. not why why you follow me. And, but I mean, it's yeah, I don't get it from a prosperity gospel. Where do you go with that? Like, so the, the you should be looking forward to the day that all of it comes crashing down to prove that you were right in doing it. Like. <laughs> Like, follow God, you'll be blessed immensely and financially and health. And then literally the story is he loses he loses wealth, he loses health, he loses family, like he loses everything. Like how does that how does that work? I don't I don't Yeah. Yeah. Um uh, yeah. Okay. Uh so I, I have a couple more things to read. They're not long. Okay. If you don't mind. The first one I want to talk about um like I said, I have some numbers. This is sort of permeating our culture. Uh, this is apparently not uh, a fringe thing. Right. And we should also um, note that it's not just our culture. This has been exported right, around the yes. world. It's huge in Brazil. It's growing yeah. in pockets of China. It's growing in all over it's the continent of Africa. Al al alarmingly huge. Uh, churches are shutting down in Africa and Rwanda, I think I read, because of, because of it. Because yeah. they're, like, they're getting out of hand like with their messaging. Um, so according to a very small article from relevant magazine, <laughs> uh, a new study has found just how many American Protestants believe in the theology known as the prosperity gospel, uh, Lifeway, which I guess is this, uh, it's Baptist. Yeah. Lifeway asked more than 1000 Protestant churchgoers from across the country, several questions related to the controversial teaching, including if their church teaches that if I gave more money 
to my church and charities, God will bless me in return. 38% said their churches did. Interesting. So 38% of evangelical churchgoers believe in the prosperity gospel. Well, I'd be curious to find what they mean by blessed, though. Yeah, because it also leads well, me to a question that I'd be interested in in seeing what your your thoughts uh, are on this topic. Um, well, I think JP, is there an answer? I mean, there, there's there's some more information. Okay, uh, a few a little bit more. I mean, the relevant relevant isn't like it didn't do like a huge study. It's more like just citing another study. Right. Yeah, they do a little uh, sidebar stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Lifeways executive director of research Scott McCollins about Christianity Today. A significant group of churches seem to teach that donations trigger a financial response from God. A quarter of them said that they must do something for God in order to get material blessing. In terms of denominations, Pentecostal and Assemblies of God churchgoers were the most likely to believe the teaching, which is at 53%. In total, 69% of those asked God, or sorry, in total, 69% of those asked said, God wants me to prosper financially, and just 20% disagreed. Hmm. See, see that what I find interesting, and it's still my question still is relevant. <laughs> um, growing up in the Baptist tradition, um, I don't think that it's any secret that the Baptist church, for the most part, is very outspoken against prosperity gospel. Um, it's it's something that they they rip on, make fun of, make underhanded jokes, laugh about, but then. We come to the time to tithe, and they love to present the, the scripture about giving your 10% to God and how if you trust him with his money, he will bless you. And he says, test me on this. I will bless you. And the way that they teach it has always bothered me because the way that it's presented seems as though they're going prosperity gospel is a joke it's evil it's wrong it's dangerous to people and then when tithing comes they say but trust god with the 10 percent, and he will make sure that you're blessed tithe to him before you even pay your bills and you'll be amazed at how your bills get paid um they tell stories of that check showing up just when they needed it and i'm like how how is that any different than yeah. the prosperity I mean, it's exact, gospel? It, it is exactly just because you well, is it just because you made it a smaller scale? Like, here's here's what I think. think. Well, I, and I, I think there's some nuance, and like you said, like um, you can't. You, we don't want to condemn. You know, not all aspects of this are are, are something that we want to condemn. But like I will say, my pastor growing up, Independent Baptist, um, Southern Baptist, Independent Baptist. Uh, my pastor um, was very um, was very very explicit um, up against. The prosperity gospel and how dangerous it was like it was something i heard a lot but then when when tithing conversations would come up i, I always remembered him very much being being pretty nuanced in saying like you know i believe that you receive a blessing when you tithe and he would mm -hmm. tell stories you know and i can i can tell personal stories of my own where in times of dire straits and, and i think as a result of my faithfulness i've 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 had you know miraculous money show up when i've needed it um it's that you know God will provide, and and that there is a faithfulness piece that comes with that. But he says, but it, this isn't about being made rich. And I think that's where the distinction is: is that we can talk about it in such a way, say you may get this, you may not. Like 
it's not going to be like, oh, I guarantee you that if you give your 10% that you're going to, that everything's going to work out perfectly for you. It's a, you know, I can say personally out of my faithfulness when I've done it, like for instance, when I was, when I was in college and making like zero money, I always faithfully tithed. And, you know, I can talk about numerous times where like say my average paycheck, my my average paycheck was about 200 bucks um, when I was working retail. And so I would give 20 bucks in church every Sunday. And the number of times that I would then pull a pair of pants out of the wash and there would be a $20 bill in my pocket that I forgot about or, or didn't know about or whatever showed up. And I, and I, I see that as some kind of a, you know, I see that as some, as, as somewhat miraculous. I'll just, I own that. Um, it may sound weird, whatever, but you know, I can share that story, but I can say that I, there's no guarantee that that's going to happen for you. I've just noticed that this is the, these are the things that have happened in my life through my faithfulness, but I am never ever going to tell someone. And I have to be honest because I'm, you know, I'm a working pastor of a church and I talk and we're getting ready to have our stewardship conversation um, is that this is not going to guarantee you wealth. And I think that's where the, and I think that's an important distinction is like, I can talk about what experiences I've had. There's no guarantee they're repeatable experiences, but I, ch- I personally chalk them up to the, to the things that I've, that I've gone through. But I'm not going up there saying, if you do this, if you're faithful, you'll get rich. And then when they come up and they say, well, I'm not rich, and they say, well, you're just not given enough, or you're not just believing hard enough, or there's got to be some unspoken sin in your life, and you need to pay attention to that. And, you know, just keep going and going and going right. until, and it's making me right, richer but, and richer. Uh, and my, and I guess my, my question and my thought, and we'll, we'll see where, where it is because that's the topic we're on, but, um, I, I mean, I've got the same. I've got the same stories. My wife and I um, decided when she was pregnant the first time that she needed to quit her job at Publix because she was having like periods of blacking out due to stress and what they were, how they were treating her um, as a pharmacist there while she was pregnant with with our baby. And we're having a discussion at 1030 at night going, how in the world can we have you as a pharmacist quit your job and us survive? Because obviously I, I, I don't make near as much as she did at the time working in some little little ministry in Broward County. I was like, how are we going to how are we going to make this work? When we got married, both of us had new cars because we weren't planning on getting married that um was a, a surprise to everybody. That's a fun story I'll have to share with our audience someday. But um, we we got married. We both had new cars, which means we're making two car payments. We had the house that we had the mortgage, and she's and we're like, you have to you have to walk away from this job. It's literally like killing you, and is unhealthy for you and our child. And so we're like, well, we would have to sell the cars. That we how would we even start there? And our phone rang at 1045 at night and it is her brother saying, Hey, I'm looking for this type of car and I know you have one. So if you're ever thinking about selling it, call me. And we're like, you've got to be kidding me. Like that. How do you at 1045 at night, why in the world is he sitting up thinking about buying cars? So I have those stories that I 100% believe are, are opportunities God takes to kind of say, Hey, you're making the right choice here. Just keep going. But then there's also the stories of giving financially, tithing, um, being consistent in giving and still not being able to pay that bill at the end of the month. Um, And the stories of 
and growing up in a church where you kind of are made to feel, even though prosperity gospel is not what we teach, you're kind of made to feel guilty about that because um, they they loved teaching that. I don't remember the passage. Maybe Chuck can think of it, but they love teaching that passage where they say that the that tithing is the only thing in scripture where God actually says, test me on this. And you'll see that it's true. And they make it sound like if you just give your 10%, then everything else is going to work out. And that's not, I don't believe that that's my understanding of what scripture is saying. I believe that God does that. And I believe that there's stories like you're saying where that happens stories where things like that have happened. But I think the more important part of it is what the Apostle Paul teaches in Philippians about being content, whether I have plenty or whether I have little. I know the secret to being content, and that's that I can do all things through Christ. And my understanding of tithing is if I am faithful in giving to to the church and the ministry that God's, the body of Christ is called to do on earth, and I'm faithful in supporting that, then I am going to be blessed by being released from my concern about money. It's not that it's going to necessarily work out in the end, but I'm released from worrying about that because I know, I know this isn't mine. This is going to him. This is for his ministry, for bettering the the ministry here on earth for helping to to reach more people for helping those who are in need and you're keeping and the lights on in the place where you go every sunday so you know yeah i mean that helps too but <laughs> but I, it's it's like it yeah. frees me from waking up going oh man i just no i gotta hold on to that extra x number of dollars because if i if i don't then everything's going to come crashing down and it's kind of like no it doesn't matter if you've got tons of money or if you have little money or if you have no money if you're faithful in in following god and faithful in following christ you can find a contentment that other people won't understand and it doesn't mean it'll get easier but it means you'll have hope when other people don't have hope right when they don't understand it right and it's it's a um it's also to me it's 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 about you know you you know it's the language we speak as a culture in terms of worth right because the the word worship actually is sort of a truncated way of saying worth ship like what you give worth to and so um i can't remember who who it is but um there's a theologian or someone who um, wants me to or it wasn't even a theologian, it's like it's just a non-religious person. And he just made a comment. He's like, if you want to get a sense of what you value, just take a look at your receipts. Um, you know, where you spend your time and your money is what you is what you worship, basically. And I um and, and, and I mean it's the overused verse literally of where your treasure is, there that's where your right. heart will be also. Right. Like it's a it's a cliche overuse saying, but it's true. Right. And so where I think, you're pouring your time and finances is what you're devoting to. Right. And I and I see and I see financial stewardship, like tithing, whatever you want to call it. Um I see that as part of a spiritual discipline, um, just around money. That's my primary way of seeing it because I know that like in our society and as we're talking here, we have a tendency to worship our money and to hoard it and to not be generous with it, to not give it up, to, to try to treat it as mine. We don't ever want to tell other people what we make. We keep our salaries private. We do all of that kind of stuff. And I think that giving some of it is, a, is you know, just, you know, God's basically like 10%, man. 10% is all you need to sort of just, and, and, I, and I can tell you like when you're making $200, you know, every two weeks in a paycheck, 10% means a lot. And 
if, if you can release control of that, you sort of release control of your finances. And that's really, you know, aside from like any kind of like, ooh, how's this going to benefit me in terms of like my material wealth, there's a, there's a spiritual benefit to sort of letting go of things and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And that to me is the blessing that scripture is talking about right. is that, that freedom from the, the being a slave to your, to your bank account, like right. that freedom of it, it's all mine. And I have to worry about where it goes and how I pay for everything. Well, There's and- a freedom when you're like, it, it's not all mine to begin with. And yeah. to me, that's, that's the, that's a blessing. And I just, you got, sorry. Well, I was going to say also, because again, I don't want to sound like we're singling out one specific group of people and ripping on them. I will also say what I love about that Philippians passage is um, there's also some people who tend to like demonize people who have money. So it's not like I'm saying, oh, if you're rich, you're also doing something wrong. Um, Because what I love about that passage in Philippians is that that the Apostle Paul is specifically addressing a group that was big then that were the, the Stoics and Stoicism and this understanding to them that their like ultimate goal was if I could live without anything, I could prove that I'm above all material possessions and I I'm better. It's basically, I'm better than everybody else on nothing. And the apostle Paul's like, no, no, I have a secret to how you can live on nothing. Or if you have a lot of stuff, I have a secret to how you can do that and be content. And you can see them like sliding to the edge of their seat. Like, what, oh, what's his secret? Because if, if I'm, I thought I was better because I've got nothing, but he's saying you can have a ton of stuff and still live correctly and be content. Um, so I, I, I just think, and the, the, the answer is the same as the, the verse that's pulled out of context all the time. I can do all things through Christ. That gives me strength. Is the Apostle Paul in that context is saying, if you want to be content when you have no money or if you want to be content when you have lots of lots of things, the, the secret is to make sure that your focus is on Christ. Right. And, and that's where contentment comes from. So right. and that, being and, rich and having money, I'm not saying is in and of itself a bad thing, because I also don't want to make it sound like we're ripping on people who have lots of stuff. Like, right. Well, like I mean, a, I, on a global I scale, that, but. I mean, on a global scale, <laughs> on a global scale, all three of us are rich. Um, well, the, yeah. the, um, um, but, and, and without trying to take the track, I know JP, you have a point and you something you want to say, and I don't want to just steamroll you, but I just wanted to say, it's okay. as I was saying, cause what, what Matt was saying, it, it, it adds to this idea of my, my wife and I have been following some minimalist blogs and, and the minimalist movement. But one of the things, even within that, there's a toxicity, just like there's toxicity and everything, um, that it, it becomes this, com- com- this competition of how the, the, the fewer things I have makes me better than you. And I think that's the, the kind of stuff that, that Jesus is really strongly condemning and then Paul is trying to condemn is that you can go the opposite direction because you can be you – and, 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 and your sense of prosperity – can be skewed, and I think that it can turn the opposite way because, in a lot of ways, minimalism is born out of privilege. Right? I have the luxury yeah. to get rid of things. Um, you know, that was something I think about a lot when I was working at a homeless church. Was the sense of like, of like, you know, these are people who you know they don't have it. Just it just that that idea of like I have the luxury a, of of choosing kind of a meal. Me of the, the... 
you know, the college students at Christian schools who go like a whole year or a whole semester without wearing shoes kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Which I totally <laughs> so bought into. Can... That was totally me, right? I mean, I, 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 <laughs> yeah. I was that guy. And and I've, and I've had to come to the terms that I was able to do all of that out of my privilege because I was – you know, living on a college campus, I had a roof over my head. I didn't have to work for my food and necessarily, I mean, I had to work to pay through college, but it wasn't nearly what a lot of people are dealing with. You know, like I was, you know, we, you know, I was, I had the advantage of being able to have things. And so therefore I had the luxury of giving them up. Right. Um, anyway, you, well, you were going to say something, JP. I'm sorry. I'm just going to make this one point. They're going to move on to our last act. Yeah. You know, I feel like if I were a church leader, a pastor of a small burgeoning uh, congregation, I would be super pragmatic about tithing, you know, like we can, I, I, we could talk about what the Bible says about the spiritual ramifications about tithing and not tithing. But the truth is, you know, cash rules everything around me, <laughs> you know, like, uh, you like, you like air conditioning, you know, you like the, the music coming from our electric guitar <laughs> cream, make the money dollar dollar bills y'all. Um, that's, uh, that's what, uh, um, Milton Williams, who's the priest at, um, um, at, at, um, St. Monica and St. James in DC is a priest. I really admire a great preacher. Um, um, used to be the canon preacher at Trinity wall street. And, uh, he, um, he got up in the pulpit one Sunday. I, I had a, a chance to hear him and he said, um, he said, when I first came to St. Monica, St. James, I came because the incense smells so sweet. Cause they're a, kind of a high church parish. And he goes, he says, folks. Incense ain't free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I think there's just a sort of a kind of a more pragmatic way to do it. I don't know. Whatever. Maybe, maybe you have to because people won't just, just won't do it. Um, well, that's true. So I mean, that, to- and that's another piece. I mean, that is a good point. There are people who will not give. Like, we see this in, you know, I work in, I work in a school, right? And so institutional yeah. advancement and all of that is, and stewardship is all a big part of those conversations. And you've got the people who, they're going to give, you know, they want the sexiness of giving, like, the ultra-modern robotics lab or whatever that the school <laughs> yeah. might not necessarily need, but we're going to give it because I want to slap my name on it. I want something lasting that says, you know, I'm... You know, Joe Smith, who gave, you know, a bank of 3D printers because that's the cool thing right now for, the, for, for education or, or whatever. Um, right. Nobody wants to be the person who's like, I gave I gave two hundred thousand dollars in order to pay the air conditioning bill or I gave two hundred thousand dollars in order to, to, to give the salary to the janitorial staff. Like do that doesn't have a name attached have, to it. So do you have a bank of 3D printers? We do, actually. Nice. Uh, can we print off some fun stuff? Our, like big um, ones, little ones. Our, 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 the, 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 the Arthur, the Dr. Arthur Cohen Entrepreneurial Center is one of the most intensely modern education buildings I've ever been in in my life. Can you can you print off Masters of Divinity action figures? Uh, actually, we probably could. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> we so, got to figure out how to make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, so moving on, uh, you know. There's there's a large percentage of people who are sort of have been buying into this prosperity gospel to the point where it's permeating our culture, our pop culture, with our celebrities going to places like Hillsong, which has become extremely popular. Oh, gosh, yeah. um, but there has been some pushback. And the L.A. Times, uh, they talked about how uh, the headline here is a Vatican approved journal strikes out at U.S. evangelicals and spread of prosperity gospel. A Vatican-approved journal has dismissed prosperity gospel as pseudo-theology, 
dangerously tied up with the American dream and President Trump's politics, launching its second major critique of U.S. evangelicals in as many years. Two of Pope Francis's uh, top communication advisors, an Italian Jesuit and an Argentine Protestant pastor named, uh, penned the prosperity gospel, dangerous and different. Uh, I'm not going to read that because it's very long. Uh, but I'll probably leave a link to it if, you, if anybody yeah. wants to read it. It's actually pretty interesting. Uh, but this this article touches on it. Uh, for the current issue of the Jesuit journal, uh, La Civilta Catolica, published Wednesday. In the article, the authors note that the prosperity gospel and its belief that God wants his followers to be wealthy and healthy has spread throughout the world, particularly in Latin America and Asia, thanks to its charismatic proponents' effective use of TV and media. But they point out, they point to its origins in the U.S., and its underpinning of the American dream, yep. and say its vision of faith is is in direct contrast to true Christian teaching and Francis' uh, emphasis on the poor, social justice, and salvation. So uh, I've got there's a cynical piece that, a response that I have. I'm going to let my cynic, I'm going to let the cynical side of me talk, and that okay. is the only reason the Vatican is condemning this is because Latin American Catholics are leaving Catholic churches in droves. To go to really. Pentecostal mega churches. No, I'm, I'm just grateful that somebody with the leverage of the Vatican is condemning it. But at the same time, like a cynical person could just say, well, it, it threatens your bottom line. And in some ways, it's also a little bit rich for the Catholic Church, who owns like more land than like anyone, and who yeah. has, you know, like they Their stole, own city. They stole like all the gold from like the Mesoamericans in order to like gild St. Peter's Square. The fact that they were selling indulgences and telling people they'll get out of hell if they are out of out of purgatory if they buy bricks to build St. Peter's Square. I mean, it's kind of rich. I mean, it'd be great if they would condemn their own practice, like their own past in, the, in addressing this. Also, also, I'm going to sound a little bit angry, but it's kind of because I am. Um, I, I don't think too many people give a whole lot of credence to the Vatican right now based off the story coming out of Philadelphia where 300 priests have molested over 1,000 children, and that's just like endemic yeah. of things all over the world. So I'm sorry. Like, I'm grateful that a huge organization is doing it, but it's kind of falling on deaf ears now because, you know, Right. You know, well, and, that, I, and it's going to taint the criticism. Okay. Well, okay. So m moving along. Uh, <laughs> in, in, in truth, in truth, one of the serious problems that the prosperity gospel brings is its perverse effects on the poor, wrote the authors, the Reverend Antonio Spadaro and Marcelo Figueroa. In fact, it not only exasperates individualism and knocks down the sense of solidarity, but it pushes people to adopt a miracle-centered outlook because faith alone, not social or political commitment, can procure prosperity. Although, prosper, although popularity gospel, I think they meant prosperity gospel. Although popularity gospel is widely popular, many Christians consider it heretical. Ministers in the tradition often hold up their own wealth as evidence that their teachings work. Trump campaigned and parted on his record as a wealthy real estate developer and businessman, and preacher Paula White is a key yep. Trump advisor. Yep. She and another prosperity preacher, Bishop Wayne T. Jackson, were among the religious leaders selected to offer prayers at Trump swearing in. The, uh, the, uh, the Civilita Catholica article said prosperity gospel clearly serves the U.S. economic uh, political model, especially under Trump, and the idea of American exceptionalism and that the United States has grown as a nation under the blessing of the provision yep. to God of the evangelical oh. movement. Where did we lost Matt? Lost Matt. Okay. Um, I, um, I'm sorry, Matt. Hoping he comes back in here in a minute. Uh, yeah, it's very telling to mention the inauguration because um, 
Trump's inauguration was the first inauguration that I, maybe the first one ever, I'm not sure, but that did not have any representation from the mainline Protestant denominations. So there was no Episcopalian, Methodist, or anything like that. There were, um, there was, of course, a cardinal from the Roman Catholic Church, and there was a rabbi, and then there was, um, and then there were these three, you know, megachurch evangelicals. Um, hey, there's Matt. Okay. Um, so I think that, make sure we're recording. We are. Well. We're still recording. And and I think that we've made a terrible mistake. What's that? Because God does not want us to put this episode out, guys. I think we're very wrong. We had a we had a power failure, so I'm now on my phone because I lost my internet. And <laughs> so, anyways, well, um, I mean, I think you know, there's a. I mean, I, I will. I, you bring up something for me, Matt. That there is a dangerous piece of, uh, that, and that's why I want to be careful in our conversation around because I do believe that, you know, the Holy Spirit does work. In, in, in pretty interesting ways, and I don't want to be put in some kind of place of like blaspheming the work of the Holy Spirit or whatever, because again, I do think some people are blessed, and and I think there can be some help. I, I, so here, I have a theory. Right, and that's, well, and that's why, let me also say this, and then you do your theory. That's why, um, that's why I said at the beginning, I don't want to trash talk all prosperity gospel, because I don't want to say that there's nothing in it that that yeah. should be discussed or contemplated. Because I do believe, and we see in Scripture, some people are chosen to, like, that's the way God chooses to show their faithfulness is being blessed, is by success. Right. Um, The danger and the problem I have with prosperity gospel on a general scale is when you try and make that a universal truth. Right, um, right. And that's, so, so that's what I speak against. I don't speak against the idea of if you trust God, he may bless you financially i don't and like i said i don't have a problem with people who have lots of money like that that's and are good stewards with it but they are able to enjoy life in ways that we never will be um because they have financial things so i don't see that as a as a mark of being bad it's just when you make it a universal truth and call it the gospel there, there's a big problem there right. to me so jp i was um uh, you mentioned you know that the, the pastors point to their own personal wealth as evidence um right. which <laughs> obviously a complete lack of understanding of how economics works that the reason they're rich is because there's people are giving them money because they're telling them to give them money um, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a cycle, but I do think that it does speak to the fact that this is such a persistent and pervasive thing in our world. And it's been that way for like 40 years, at least, if not longer. I mean, there's been prosperity gospel preachers going back to the 1800s. So if it, if there wasn't some evidence that it worked, it wouldn't persist. Um, so I have my theory as to what happens is that because what, what winds up happening in, in a lot of these churches is that, and Matt, you can attest to this, I'd imagine Preacher gets up and says, you know, you need to start tithing, you start doing whatever. Um, so you and your family then make an appointment with the pastor to talk about this, talk about money. You know, sometimes pastor will say, like, have it, you know, like, you know, bring your tax returns, we'll have a conversation. Um, but what, off, what I think implicitly starts happening is people start then, they start looking at their finances. So they're giving, they're like, okay, well, we can give this much to the church, but we have to give up things over here. And then that actually starts prompting people to start looking at their bills, and it becomes very practical and that they start getting leaner in their spending. They start actually budgeting and all of that kind of work. And then when you – in just a simple fact of, you know, because I married an accountant and I noticed differences when I started marrying somebody who was financially responsible uh, as opposed to well, me um, is that I suddenly felt like I had way more money because – it was being spent more responsibly and it was being, you know, directed in, in different ways. And so what I think happens is that people are like, wow, 
I suddenly found I have more money. Well, of course you do because you're budgeting now. Like it just, that's a, that's a natural <laughs> consequence yeah, of it's... what happens with paying attention to where your money goes. And so yeah. I think that, I think what happens is, is that this very practical thing happens, but then it starts getting dressed up as God's blessing you. And it's like, well, he is because you are being responsible, which is what scripture tells you to be anyway. Um, which, 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 yeah, it's like, instead of like, it'd be interesting to hear a, a hear a sermon taught that instead of like, tithing because i do believe that there's a spiritual discipline aspect to it i believe that very much yeah. but that comes that comes down to what what you're trusting in are you trusting in your money or are you trusting in him but on a surface level it would be really interesting to hear a bible lesson taught as instead of teaching tithing as something spiritual that will bring you blessing this is christianity economics 101 like <laughs> how to how to budget and do yeah. and do your home bills properly and it's kind of like the way to cause you to do that is to say, okay, you're going to give 10% here. So find a way to make that work. And like you said, you're going to sit down and figure out, okay, how do I make it work so that I now have this amount of money to give here when it doesn't seem like I have that money right now. And then you sit down and start budgeting and realize there's lots of money that we like wake up and are in essence throwing away right on stuff that is just pointless right and yeah then, if, it's, if it's like if, if you're if you're if you if you treat this it's like okay obviously like your car payment your house payment like those are things that you're going to treat as sacred like we never you know we have to account for those things we need those in your food budget like we need those things mm-hmm. um if if you add another thing to that that's sort of unexpected from those kind of expected you know those expenses you have this other thing out there that's like now this is a priority this 10 percent has to go somewhere. Suddenly, like your entire budget revolves around that. And so it then turns into this, I think, very practical conversation around having a healthy relationship with your finances. And that's a blessing. Like mm-hmm. that is a blessing to have a healthy relationship with your finances. Cause you know, I'm I'm a firm believer that what Jesus is all about is liberation and that he wants to liberate us from the things that enslave us. So, you know, whether it is our spending, whether it is, you know, overindulgence or whatever, like it's all about that that process of liberation. And so, like, again, I, I, I think there is a practical dimension that comes down to it and, it, and it's just a byproduct. But the problem is, is that, these, is that snake oil salesmen, as they always have, take practical realities and spin them as though they've somehow worked some magic to make, make it happen, right? Like the placebo effect is scientifically right. provable, but it can be exploited by snake oil salesmen as magic. But it's... You know, and that's what I think is happening. Absolutely. Well, guys, I think that's a good place to end. If you, unless you have anything else, I'm good. I, I have a, I have a, I have a great idea for us, guys. It's, I got the next big thing figured out for Masters of Divinity. Yeah. Um, listening to listening to way too much. Well, I think we already know High Priest is me, so deal with it. But um, the way. Listening to way too many podcasts, I'm seeing a trend in culture that's that's interestingly popping up in weird ways, and that is the random obsession with a real-life version of musicals, like people randomly trying to sing songs no. and trying to rap. No. And now there's a podcast that is entirely a group of improv comedians of that do a musical episode uh, on the spot every day. So I think during talking, during this episode, I've decided that Masters of Divinity needs to start our church 
which we will give a fun, fancy name called Selah for that musical pause in, in, in scripture. And we will have musical improv sermons every week. Um, it's it's going to be huge, guys. We're we going to sing. The thing we're going to randomly burst into song. We'll have like five choreography numbers that we already know. So all the pastor has to do is hold up his hand with a number and we know which dance to all do at the so, same time. So and we will launch into songs. Here's the thing, Matt. I, I feel right now like Simon Cowell, <laughs> like Simon Cowell on one on uh, one of those talent shows that he did, that not America's you, not American Idol, but one of the maybe it was American this, Idol. It was American this Idol. This is great. This is no, this is great. You can be Simon, I can be Randy. Yeah. So. That's awesome. No, I just remember there's so so the episode when that old when that old guy got up and he did the whole thing about like pants on the ground, pants on the ground, acting like a fool with your pants on the ground. Um, you know, they put him on as a novelty act for the judges. But I remember Simon Cowell, because he's you know, he's a very savvy businessman who understands marketability and pop music. Simon Cowell just sort of like he 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 pinches the bridge of his nose like I am right now, and he just goes Honestly, this would make so much money. <laughs> He's like, I could see this being a successful thing, and that's that's how I feel about that's how I feel about this statement of yours, Matt. It's I reluctantly admit that it would be wildly successful. I'm just going to be a Randy. It's a great and say, idea. A, I'm just going to be a Randy and say that's enough for me, dog. Um, I think it w- I actually think you would be right that it would it would it would it would be like a six month period of just raking in money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, no. We'll, we'd rent a spot so that we have no permanent tie down because it's not going to last long. So you burn bright, you burn out, and you get away with all the money. Well, so there were churches. <laughs> there were a couple of Episcopal churches who um, were they caught a trend, the, the 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 flash mob trend, and they were doing flash mob church for a while, where they would just pick, they would text out like an, like two hours in advance to everybody, like on like a, they did it for like Lent or something, and it'd be like, all right, it's 6.30 p.m., we're at the fountain downtown, and they would just show up and have church just without any kind of, <laughs> like, they were just suddenly having church. Nice. I, you know, I, I, I feel like we as a podcast could learn something from everything that we've, we've read about today. How to make money. And, uh, how to make to money. <laughs> I, I, I think, I mean, I, I, I think we should buy into this hype priest uh, persona the hype I mean, we priest. should we should we should get we should just totally beaver ourselves out no you know <laughs> no i can see uh, we let's get we'll get like on un- un- undercut haircuts and big I mean, thick I, glasses I already, and those long shirts oh, i mean huge I, v-neck yes and if uh, the yeah, problem is you're, you're, there are people listening who, who are like, yeah, that's, that's, that's Chuck anyway. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, look at like the shirt that I'm wearing right now is like super unbuttoned. It's linen. <laughs> it's lilac. It's a lilac linen unbuttoned dress. Shirt. I mean, it, it, I got it from, a, I got it from Uniqlo for crying out loud. It's, I, uh, I don't know. I couldn't see Justin Bieber wearing that, dude. I mean, I couldn't. Yeah, no. So I, well, I would just like to ask our, tell our audience that if they would like to donate to Selah, we will start our services this Sunday at uh, 10 a.m. location to be announced. The right, um, so the just right reverend send me, if send the, me money. If the right I'll reverend Peter David Eaton is listening to this podcast, he is he is going to be sh- He's going to crash his car. Um, that's my bishop. For those who are wondering, um, this would give him this would give him the willies. <laughs> Uh, but yeah. again, it would make so much money. Just have, have yeah, so and, many and, tattoos and, and, and you can do sermons off of them. And I will gladly accept the role of hype priest for the church and 
and we'll just well, yeah, what you got to we'll do Matt what you, what you really need to do Matt is you need to cultivate that you know you got to get kind of raspy in your voice right because that's how the that's that's how you do it when you preach you know like like I come more from the Baptist tradition so I'm, I'm a little bit more like throaty and like voluminous and very like gesture with my hands um but the but the you know the the, the evangelical that, that 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 it's it's the more the you know God God is really just moving in us right now and you know so i i, I feel like you got to have that a little bit of that i just little hot I, just accident, I just accidentally bumped something on the phone and took a picture of us yeah <laughs> fine so, that was weird anyway i don't know i, I really want to exploit this high priest phenomenon is all i'm saying maybe that could be a, a big rebranding high priest of divinity look man i i already told you how we do it we could be let's do it we'll be mega rich in six months and then we'll move on and we'll never have to speak of it again to our audience, thank you so much for listening. Uh, join us next week and have a wonderful week. Good journey.